0: Well, I can't wait to meet our host. I hear this is only one of his beat parties. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay positive, the love will come back to me. Stay
1: positive, the love love, will come back to me. Hello and welcome back to True, True to Lie with Harry Day. We're going to do an episode that will have a lot of large, difficult to pronounce words in it. So bear with me as you laugh at me trying to pronounce some of these words. Some of them might be uh, Latin-named species because we're talking about old animals or not an animal that lives to be like 500 years old like a turtle but animals that ancestry dates back 400 million years, perhaps, or longer, or a little less, but I've got 10 here on a list of uh, what would be known as living fossils because they, I'm already at a loss of, of words, because they evolved as their surroundings required them to or they required to evolve to their surroundings as things changed, animals got smaller, predators got fewer but some of these still stuck around and never went extinct they just kept evolving and are still with us now and some are microscopic some are larger than a human Uh, Some are plants, some are mammals, reptilia, what have you. Anyway, you know, we started life on earth millions, hundreds of millions of years ago with single-celled organisms, which evolved into things that must have been God's plan because we had huge old things like redwood trees or delicate, bizarre looking things like dragonflies or complex things like humans. Because we are as simple as we seem to be. We somehow make life so complex that we can't get out of our own way. Humans are not on this list. So let's see if I can drag ourselves into this. Um, A couple of scientists, early scientists, had found some of these uh, living fossils or had become, they had become known to these scientists. Charles Darwin explained in his famous book On the Origin of Species, natural selection may have vastly modified other branches in the tree of life over time, but among organisms like the lungfish, The quirks and contingencies of their habitats and lifestyles remained so stable that there was little evolutionary pressure to change. Unquote. So maybe some of these did not have to evolve as much. They were on a much, much slower path and weren't cast into necessary evolution systems like out of water, onto land, uh, cooler temperatures, warmer temperatures, etc. There's a great Victorian naturalist, his name was Thomas Henry Huxley, who called these creatures the persistent types. For whatever reason, they stayed relatively the same over millennia upon millennia. But as scientists today loosely call them, without getting technical, a simpler term would be survivors. These are the great survivors. So I didn't take notes. I didn't read even halfway through this list. Um, I know there's parts that there's no reason to read out loud. So I'll tumble through as I usually do. But our first species would be the crocodilians, which is obviously the alligators or the crocodiles. Um, Some have said they have gone unchanged since the time of the dinosaurs. That's absolutely false. They have changed. They've gotten smaller, mainly. Their diet has changed but they have been around for about 85 million years and they belong to a much more diverse and disparate group of creatures that goes back as far as the Triassic era. I don't know what the Triassic era is, I'm believing dinosaurs you can look it up. I don't have time to do that. The older larger crocodilian came from the Crocodilomorpha, which is a larger group of crocodilians that went back 205 million years, a type of crocodile. Um, they shared the world with the dinosaurs and they did so in an array of forms or, or different uh, an amount of species of crocodilian. There's the 112 million year old 40 foot long Sarcosuchus which is an ancestor of the crocodile. It looks quite similar to the modern crocodile. There was the formidable ocean-going predator known as the Dacosaurus. There were small forms of crocodilia with mammal-like teeth called Pacasuchus. There were crocodiles with tusks and extra armor known as Armadillosuchus, And there was the life land dwelling carnivores such as the sebacchus. And even though modern crocs look ancient, they're just the remainder of much older and stranger crocodilian. Could you imagine a 40 foot long crocodile? I would have thought really the ancestors in the dinosaur age would be even bigger than 40 feet. You know, 100 feet. You know, as big as the girth of a house. Maybe there were, I don't know. Fossils of that have not been found. We go back 112 million years. Excuse me, 205 million years. But that is the age-old crocodile slash alligator whom we still have now and who many of us see all the time in Mississippi or Louisiana. Some of us eat crocodile, I mean alligator. <laughs> alligator sausage is made in this area. That's fairly good, alligator pork sausage. Now here's another one, a new one called the velvet worm. It comes from the jungles, so unless you have time spent in South America or or other tropical areas, you would not have seen the velvet worm. Um, the velvet worm is considered a misnomer it stretches a quarter of an inch to eight inches long and it has a row of stubby legs with a hook at the end of each leg their bodies are smooth I guess it has a velvet feeling but it is not actually a velvet surface and they're invertebrates and there aren't worms at all it says but they do belong to their own group the velvet worm it looks like a centipede or a millipede, except it's smooth. It doesn't have the, uh, the segmented scales or insect parts that you see on, on a lot of these bugs nowadays. As opposed to the ones you see from a million years ago. But that would be in a drawing. Or a Polaroid. Um, they're, cl- they're more closely related to anthropods. They live in forest undergrowth. And they have a much older lineage that goes back to one of the greatest evolutionary explosions of all time. I don't know what that is. Maybe this will tell us. The, in 1909, the secretary of the Smithsonian Institute, Charles Doolittle Walcott, discovered the fauna of the Burgess Shale. I'm thinking shale's a rock, but fauna... Flora fauna is an animal, okay. Um, it was exquisitely preserved creature from 505 million year old sea, from a 505 million year old sea. Um, now the, the thing about the velvet worm is it's, it's, it won't fossilize. And if it does, it's extremely rare. but somehow they found that this creature has been around possibly 505 million years um in the shale in a 505 million year old sea a lot of animals fossilized mostly were found and they were unlike anything seen before up to 1909 And the true affinities of many of these weird creatures from these deposits are still being debated 110 years later as to what they are, or what they really are. But one creature looked familiar. Under the name Ashiya, an invertebrate named by Walcott, Walcott, it closely resembled the velvet worm may be the velvet worm's closest ancestry going that far back, which connects them as an old living animal. They don't quite have the same uh, even though the form lacks some of the specialities seen in modern velvet worms such as a unique nozzle system that squirts an instant web over its prey. Kind of like Spider-Man, how cool is that? This Cambrian creature shares the segmented, stubby-legged body plans with the living forms so enough of consensus agreed that this is an old creature a velvet worm no one's heard of the velvet worm we have heard of crocodiles let's move on number three the cow shark most living sharks from nurse sharks to great whites have five gill slits on the side but there are four species of cow sharks that have six to seven gill slits per side, a feature that has thought to have been retained for millions of years from some of the earliest sharks on Earth. These deep water six and seven gilled sharks are considered some of the most archaic of all shark species. The evolutionary story of sharks is primarily based on teeth. They're cartilaginous shark bodies, which do not preserve, that means they have no bones, but their teeth last millions and millions of years. I've I've found ancient teeth in uh, dugout rivers in Mississippi, nowhere near uh, seawater. The nearest seawater would be the Gulf of Mexico. So let's take a quick Green tea break, you're not gonna hear ice because I'm drinking it out of a can, but it tastes the same. Not quite as cold, it's all right. An articulated specimen of early shark, Doliotus problematicus, pushes the shark's existence back at least 409 million years, and is suspected to be even older than that. 410 million years, perhaps. The lineage to which today's six and seven-gilled sharks belong, however, more recent. Based upon isolated saw blade fossil teeth, paleontologists think cow sharks have existed for 175 million years. Now these sharks that we have now, the cow sharks, are opportunistic feeders. They're bottom feeders. They'll eat whatever they can find that their body can draw nutrients from. Usually dead marine life falling to the ocean floors is what they eat. Anything they can catch, they will also eat. They're considered a deep sea cleanup crew, (laughs) scavenging on the bodies of marine reptiles during the Mesozoic period and shifting to marine mammals after that time of the dinosaurs. So they've been doing this for millions of years. Of course we know very little about the appearance of these ancient sharks but their roughly bladed teeth hint that they have been consummate deep sea carrion feeders for millions of years cleaning up the ocean's floors of uh you know in in modern era any any meat that sinks to the floor of the ocean bodies in wars and sinking ships Um, dying old fish, fish that were half consumed by some animals and the rest slipped down to the bottom. Cow sharks picked it up. Very interesting, but opportunistic as in eating leftover dead flesh mostly. Now we have number four, which is considered, let me do a time check, time check, oh, we're good. Um, I read this on another list also. Horsetails. And these aren't what look like broom sedge weeds that grow out in fields and looks like you could just cut a bunch and weave them and tie them together and have a broom. That's broom sedge. Horsetails also like the uh, what did we call those? Horsetails? They grew on the edge of lakes and we used to uh, cut them off, load our boats up with them, and then drive around and have wars. cattails, that's what they were, throwing them at each other. Horsetails have long-lived lineage. And the horsetail is one of the greatest of the long-lived lineage of plant life. These archaic plants are found growing in patches along streams and wet habitats. Place a dinosaur toy among them and the prehistoric model will look quite at home. Oh, really, <laughs> Why is that even in there? The reason these horsetails are considered so ancient comes from two lines of evidence. Living horsetails are unique among plants that they reproduce via spores rather than seeds. Other plants likely give up this method of reproducing millions and millions of years ago Old though it may be, the spore technique makes horsetails resilient and very difficult to remove from a place where they are considered a weed or an unwanted growth in your pond, whatever. They do not look like cattails, really. Horsetails also have a very deep fossil record. Though they make up small parts of forests now, enormous horsetails once made up entire forests in the days before modern trees evolved. In fact, much of the world's coal originates from 360 to 300 million year old carboniferous deposits. The remnants of horsetails such as calamites are part of this and in that era could have grown to be over 100 feet tall. they, They look a little like a fern or maybe just a little more of a manly parsley or dill plant. It's it's, it's it looks in the line of some kind of herb, but it's ancient, super ancient. It used to be, you know, the dogwood used to be. They say a uh, eighty to hundred twenty foot story, storying not story, an eighty to hundred foot tree and it devolved to a shorter understory tree with a beautiful bloom and then there's a biblical uh story that goes along with it about the flowers and why the tree became short but this is not about that this is about hundreds of millions of year old living items that lasted the thread of time to today number five lice have you had lice have your kids had lice both of my kids have had lice my ex-wife has had lice I don't think I got the lice I don't recall having the lice oh let's see how they get canny with this Uh, this is all this information comes from the Smithsonian Magazine by the way so thank you Smithsonian I've been to your museum it's really neat um this is the lice is not the most charismatic survivor but is one of evolution's greatest success stories as a parasite And few have stuck in there longer than lice when it comes to parasites. Okay. Although louse or lice fossils are very rare, paleontologists found a 44 million year old feather louse that looks strikingly similar to today's lice that live in the plumage of water birds today. I am... is there any oxygen in this room? I feel like I'm flailing. The record of lice probably goes back further than 44 million years. Researchers used the few known louse fossils along with genetic comparisons between living lice to determine when major lice lineages evolved. Feather lice in particular seem to have split from their hitchhiking relatives sometime between 115 and 130 million years ago, right when little mammals were scurrying through the Cretaceous undergrowth, carrying them on their back, and feathered dinosaurs were flocking around on land, flocking around on land with flock lice? What was this lice? Feather lice at the base of their feathers. Since feather lice evolved to feed on early birds, and feather-covered non avian dinosaurs, they have had to change little to keep up with their host. Thus, lice today is similar to feather lice 130 million years ago. I still think, in a non-serious way, that most insects are from outer space. Or at least some of them. Or at least one of them. There's a picture of that uh, velvet worm, and it's like pinkish-purple with a brighter-colored pinkish, dull pinkish. It looks like rubber. It looks like a rubber toy with two purple antennae, two little yellow dashes where it must be eyes or fake eyes. Stubby legs, yeah. So lice has been around. They weren't on crocodiles. Uh, They weren't on horsetails. They weren't on cow sharks, for sure. They weren't on the velvet worm, and they weren't on crocodiles. I say that twice, probably. So that's five of our extremely old denizens of the planet Earth. Okay, here we have brachiopods. Pick up a brachiopod, and you might think you're looking at an ordinary clam. A shell split into two halves, called valves, protects this invertebrate. But in the case of the brachio or brachiopod, these two halves are unequal in size. That's how they got their common name. The unequal proportions of the shells make some of the creatures look like old oil lanterns, hence the name lamp shells. They are found in gravel, sometimes attached to kelp or clinging to rocks off the continental shelf. Brachiopods are considered rare today. There may be around 100 different genera now living, but over 5,000 are known from fossil records spanning 530 million years. By about 488 million years ago, brachiopods had become the dominant shelled animals of the seas. They were so thick in some places that the shell composed most of sediment from fossils found in the same area, But the changed when the worst mass extinction of all time occurred this was the permian mass extinction which some paleontologists rightly call the great dying for its catastrophic effect on the planet's fauna though the exact trigger is still debated about 251 million years ago a huge amount of greenhouse gas was dumped into the atmosphere and the oceans became highly acidic Brachiopods suffered, giving a foothold to the mollusk ancestor and cousin of modern clams and cockles. Brachiopods have hung on in whatever crevices they could attach to, but never regained their dominance. So they're not extinct, but they're on their way, and you've probably never seen one. You'd have to dive in the ocean and get lucky. if Unless you get eaten by a cow shark. Okay, number seven is a tree, the ginkgo tree. The most beautiful foliage in the fall. A brilliant yellow, a brilliant flat yellow. These leaves look like fans. I've got one in the yard we planted at my last house when uh, my daughter and son were born about 18 months apart. Somewhere in that time frame I planted two trees. One didn't live during a hard freeze. The other one did. But just as it was getting its roots set, we moved. I dug it up, damaged the taproot, planted it here, and it took years to recover. It has recovered, it has hardly grown, but it leaves out, turns yellow in the fall, and continues its uh, struggle to survive. I would hope and imagine that because its ancestors have been around, let me find the number, 175 million years, that this tree will kick in and take off and grow and just oh, the foliage is so brilliant. If you can find multiple ginkgo trees, like if you drive down the steep hill from Highway Forty Nine down into Yazoo City, there's several there. Uh, Bellhaven Jackson has several. In that neighborhood. Um, Canton, here in Canton, on Peace Street maybe, one of those streets, has a uh, an amount of just gorgeous ginkgos. They probably dropped their leaves by now being early December but they just dropped them. We had them on my little tree out here two weeks ago and two days later I look and they're all gone. It was all yellow and sometime in two days we either had a rain or a wind or something I look and they're all on the ground. I'm just like dang it's just snap gone. Anyway let's uh, read what the scientists have to say about this and not what this non-scientist has to say about this. Let's have another sip of green tea. Ginkgo biloba is the name of the tree if you're going Latin, genus species. Ginkgo trees aren't quite as archaic as horsetails, but a record of over 175 million years is what they have. Today, these trees are represented only by one species, the ginkgo biloba. But this tree with fan-shaped leaves had its heyday when ferns, cycads, and Jurassic dinosaurs dominated the lamb stake. The The landscape. Modern ginkgo trees are not very different from those that herbivore dinosaurs may have fed upon. A study by a Wesleyan University paleobotanist and colleagues found that ginkgo trees seem to do best in disturbed habitats along streams and levees, a habitat preference that may have been their downfall. Mm. I mean, they're still around. Scientists know from living ginkgo trees that they grow slowly. Ah. They start reproducing late and are generally reproductive slowpokes when compared to more recently evolved lineages of plants that live in the same places, such as uh, all the gumball trees around here that are everywhere. Although their color is brilliant red and yellow and brown and gold. The ginkgo tree is a slowpoke. Maybe that's why I live so long. Ginkgo trees may have simply just been outbred by other plants, where when suitable habitats opened up, but this makes it all the more remarkable that one species managed to survive to the present day. It's probably older than oak trees, which are pretty grand. Ginkgo trees are really, really beautiful though. Here's such a cute animal that I don't know if I've ever seen, if I have seen it was in captivity. But number eight on our list of survivors is the duck-billed platypus. I was thinking about this animal the other day. Got something in my eye. Besides my finger, oh, my eye—it looks like a beaver, but it's got a, a stubby, or it's got like a, a tail, like a nutria, but it's got a big bill, a big weird kisser duck bill, flat fat. What a strange thing! Let's read about it, and maybe it'll it'll educate us. The duck billed platypus truly looks like it belongs in another era, true, if not on another planet, true. In fact, in 19th century naturalists first saw stuffed specimens sent to Europe from Australia and some scholars thought the animals might be a joke much like the jackalope that we see the horned uh, the horned rabbits from Texas <laughs> but evolution wasn't kidding there there is a mammal with a duck-like snout and a tail like a beaver oh it is like a beaver that lays eggs holy cow so the duck-billed platypus has a big flat duck bill, it has a beaver tail, and it lays eggs. This is a mammal. Monotrims like the platypus are strange mammals. These are archaic egg laying forms last shared a common ancestor with marsupial and placental mammals over 175 million years ago. And rare fossils from Australia indicate that there have been platypus like forms for hundred and ten million years. This is a furry creature. You just don't recall furry creatures from hundreds of millions of years ago. I guess there are, I guess they're all on the food chain. I don't know. Though often reconstructed with a narrower snout, the late Cretaceous Steropodon was a close cousin of the early platypus. A much closer relative to the modern platypus known as the Abduradon, has been found in more recent rocks spanning about 25 to 5 million years ago. This animal is different from its living relative in retaining adult teeth and some particular skull characteristics, but the skull shape is similar. Rather than being a new kind of creature that evolved around the dinosaurs, the duck-billed platypus is truly a more archaic kind of mammal with roots that go far deeper than most other mammals on the planet Earth. Very interesting. Two to go. What's our time, James? We're good. I think I can do it. I don't know how to pronounce this word. Coelacanth. Koala Coelicanth. <laughs> Coalacanths were supposed to be extinct. As early 20th century paleontologists knew, these distant fishy cousins of ours, categorized as lobe-finned fish because of their fat fins supported by a series of bones similar to those in our own limbs as humans had gone extinct by the end of the Cretaceous era, 66 million years ago. Also in that time gone extinct were the mosasaurs, pterosaurs, ammonites, and non-avian dinosaurs. But in 1938, A curator from South Africa's East London Museum recognized a very strange fish lying on a dock after getting a tip about something strange being caught from the oceans. As it turned out, the fish was a living coelacanth. She might as well have found a living tyrannosaurus. That's how rare and odd that is that she found it. See, I like the story. Rings familiar now. That's just something that I've read. I don't know. Paleontologists have discovered fossil coelacanths younger than 65 million years old. <coughs> but since 1938, these were unknown when the fish was rediscovered off South Africa. The discovery of a living member of this group immediately catapulted this fish to fame, a koalacanth. Two species have been recognized since, and they're different than their prehistoric relatives, enough to belong to a different genus, Latimeria, but they're still quite similar to their prehistoric cousins. Koalacanth? Is that the, anyway. Creatures recognizable as koalacanths go back to about 400 million years ago. And these fleshy-finned fish were the evolutionary cousins of lung fish and our own archaic forerunners, which supposedly human life distantly crawled out of the oceans as these fish because they had four fins with bones that moved independently, kind of like a horse's legs. And that's why we were thought to have evolved from them. If you believe in that. I have no comment. Because I have no evidence. The very first vertebrates to walk on land were specialized lobe-finned fish related to these recently discovered tic (laughs) Whatever. Like many other organisms on the list, though, live koalicants are the last of a once more widespread and varied lineage. What else is out there, in the jungles, in the river bottoms, especially the oceans, that not only aren't extinct, but we have never even known of, there's got to be several, multiple living things, creatures, whatever, that we just don't know about. We haven't discovered yet, living or dead. Number 10, this one I've put my hands on, the horseshoe crab. You've seen this strange helmet-looking creature with a tail on the beach, sometimes on its back dead, sometimes on its front alive, sometimes in the water a foot deep. The horseshoe crab is very common and is widespread on beaches and the watery area. But there is probably no animal that epitomizes the title of, quote, survivor, better than the horseshoe crab. With their shield-like carapaces and long-spined tails, these anthropods look prehistoric. When masses of one species, the limulus polyphemus, congregate on mid-Atlantic beaches in the warmth of early summer, it is difficult not to imagine the scene as something from the very, very far past. <laughs> exactly when, where, or how horseshoe crabs evolved remains a uh, matter of ongoing investigation. But the group of anthropods they belong to is thought to have diverged from their arachnid cousins around 480 million years ago. The basic horseshoe crab body clan has been around since then, although not exactly in the form we now know. The newly named 425 million year old Dibasterium dergai looked roughly like a horseshoe crab from the top, though if you were to turn the arthropod over, you would have been greeted by a nest of double-branched legs used for both breathing and locomotion. Over time, the horseshoe crab species developed other odd adaptations. Creatures like the boomerang-shaped Austrolimulus and the double button horseshoe crab Lyomesaspis represent the extremes in the group's variation. But it is true that horseshoe crabs, as we know them today, have been around for an extremely long time. The 150-million-year-old mesolimilis looks like it would fit right in on a Delaware beach. Horseshoe crabs have continued to change since then, of course. The modern Atlantic horseshoe crab is not found in the fossil record, and the specific group of horseshoe crabs to which it belongs only has a record of about 20 million years. It's just a baby! Still, the changes within the group have been Astonishingly slight, gosh, I'm lisping, when viewed against the big picture of evolution. But since the time of the horseshoe crabs' origin, the world has, been, has seen several mass extinctions. The rise and fall of the non avian dinosaurs and shiftings of continents and climates so drastic that the world truly is a wildly different place today. All the while, the horseshoe crabs have still been there crawling around the seafloor, and they will continue to do so, so like the previouses, for millions of years to come. Period. End quote. Dot, dot, dot. Smack, slap, boom, sis, boom, ba. Toot, cork. <laughs> All right, some tea. Is there any, what in the heck kind of music am I going to, Oh, I know what I'm going to use. Maybe. Um, I hope this was a good time filler. Seems like it was probably monotone in my talking. 40 minutes of it. Full of information. Maybe you'll remember some of it. I will. I love learning new stuff. So, um, to tail out, to spiral away, to wander from that path that was as straight as an arrow, science, into the tangent of my local day, not meaning my name. Uh I was running errands in Canton. I was sending out some crosses that I had made, some uh, square nail crosses I weld and clean up and string and, and sell. And I was sending some to Alabama and I had to go to another store to get a padded envelope because apparently regular envelopes when they go through the post office process just shred apart and anything inside gets lost. So, But they didn't have any envelopes to sell to me so it seems like the gimmick was a failure. But nonetheless, what I'm getting at as my 80% African-American town of Canton proved yet again how kind and friendly people are whom you do not even know. The the kid, and I don't mean like a a preteen, but like the, the kid stocking shelves in the Dollar General wheeled out with this big, long, stock cart and you know we kind of had one of those coming around the corner hey pardon me pardon me things and he was so polite and kind and and apologetic about you know coming around that corner with that big cart and i was just like it's not even a thing thank you and the woman check checking me out at the counter talkative asked how i was doing really sweet both of them were black I'm not trying to racialize anything. I'm just saying I meet kind people every day, and they're not like me. Of course, there's not a lot of people like me. People that know me know understand that I'm unique in some ways. i inadequate in others. I mean, who isn't? But when people are kind, it makes you happy because you know there's kind people out there. And I talk about this every show at the very end. I I say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, thank you. No, no, thank you. Uh, Hold the door, you know, smile, smiling eyes, anything, excuse me, you just be polite, be kind. And people feel that. They absolutely feel that. And that ripple of kindness will continue through them. Say you're like that to 10 people a day and eight of them pass the kindness on and five of them pass that kindness on. That's a lot of people being kind and it makes your community better. And that's all anyone could hope for is a kind, happy, safe community. And that's such an easy way to do it by just being happy and and positive. And Lord knows there's so many times, and if you've listened to my podcast, you know that I struggle with depression. And I've got a, I've got a handle on it. But it's still in there. And I still feel it. I can just deal with it. And, and I have quality of life. And I can move on. And I wouldn't wish it upon anybody, because it, it has been, in the past, extremely difficult. So there's no reason to not be positive, even if you gotta force it. And if you don't have these problems like I have, or have had, then there's no reason why you can't be kind to the people you, you associate with briefly in gas stations and grocery stores, where all strangers cross paths, or at sporting events, where you like actually spend time sitting next to people And you get to talking to them. I do it at the art festivals I do. I talk to a lot of people. And I love it. And they get a big, fat, positive vibe off of me. And I get the same from them, whether they know it or not. Depending on how they act. But usually I do. But anyway. One more sip. Uh, Arizona Green Tea still hadn't sent me anything. I don't think they're gonna. I may need to write again. But I'm real proud of all y'all. You're still here. You're still above ground. It's the Christmas season. We'll do a Christmas podcast within the next week or two. Um, I don't get around to as many, but this is the hunting season. We've already got three deer in the freezer, one duck, but it's early when the duck goings. But we'll get there. So... May you be happy, merry, and joyous, and may you find peace.